Welcome to the Modern Art Notes podcast. I'm Tyler Green. This week, the second of our two-man podcast episodes, Spotlighting Artists in Soundtracks, a new exhibition at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. It examines the role of sound in art and was curated by Rudolf Freeling and Tanya Zimbardo. It'll be on view in San Francisco through January 1st next year. A couple weeks ago, we aired our first program featuring Bill Fontana and Christina Kubich, both of whom are in the show. You can find it on iTunes, manpodcast.com, and wherever podcasts are found. The exhibition features nearly three dozen artworks that are or include sound. SF MoMA has built out an extensive digital infrastructure for the show. We'll have links to lots of the cool stuff they've done on manpodcast.com. My guests this week are Jacqueline Kiyomi Gordon and Amor Munoz. We'll be back with them and their work after the break. The Getty presents Friday Flights, a series of interdisciplinary happenings that brings together a range of Los Angeles-based artists to transform the Getty experience. On August 25th, enjoy the final performance of the season, featuring three provocative outdoor presentations, along with a sweeping sunset and panoramic view of L.A. Artist Kenyetta A.C. Hinkle presents Exploring the Nowanago Cantifrican Modes of Resistance, Los Angeles-based visual artist Scott Benzel premieres a site-specific piece, and New York-based psych rock band Psychic Ills plays a set. Learn more at getty.edu slash 360. The major exhibition Robert Rauschenberg Among Friends is now on view at the Museum of Modern Art in Manhattan. An exploration of Rauschenberg's wide-ranging career and commitment to openness and collaboration, it features over 250 works, including contributions from collaborators and friends such as Merce Cunningham, Jasper Johns, and Trisha Brown. When there's good news, MoMA's extended summer hours, they're open on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays until 9 p.m. through Labor Day, will continue through December 30th on Fridays and Saturdays, so you can see and do it all. Get more info and tickets at MoMA.org. Welcome back. Amor Munoz is my next guest. She lives in Mexico City. Her work uses performance and new technologies, often to address the contemporary global economy and how it uses manual labor. She's had residencies and exhibitions of her work in public spaces in Germany, Japan, Austria, Mexico, Norway, and now at SFMOMA. Remember, be sure to check manpodcast.com for links to video and JPEG documentation of Munoz's work. Amor Munoz. My work, General, combines performance and experimental electronics with traditional media such as drawing and textile techniques. I have a special interest to create that connection between art, technology, and society. In my practice, I involve different fields of knowledge and topics like labor, manufacture, social movements, tradition, innovation, applied technologies, ATC. Is because in my practice, my training it was by myself, no? I learned electronics and, and textiles techniques with tutorials. It's part of my work, no? The do-it-yourself do culture, the maker movement. That culture is uh, very deep in my practice. So, yes, the, the labor, the by hand, all the, the work that I do in my studio is all the time with the hands 
And for that reason, I have that special interest about the labor, about the manufacture, about the, the time uh, ATC, right? It's interesting at this point because my, by example, I studied uh, in the university, in the law school. My training was like a lawyer. So, and I was practiced like a lawyer 10 years ago in a political party. But I take the decision to, to be an artist. And I think for that reason, I use a lot of that topics, uh, economic, political, uh, social issues, is uh, the way to, uh, to involve that kind of knowledge in my art, in my art practice. Rhythmic manufacture is a performance based on mechanical labor. It's an everyday action that uses the drawing and technological imaginaries as support, trying and pretending to be a machine, uh, like automata, condition, conditioned my body and my brain to a mechanical work, uh, to a repetitive corporal pattern, time it, and marked by the rhythm, rhythm uh, with a metronome. During a week for eight hours per day, is in an open space, the artist, in this case me, I'm like a factory worker, drawing a series of electronic components, transforming the real three-dimensional object, in this case, that ele electronic component, capacitor, transistor, chip, ADC, to a simple representation with the intention or like a metaphor of the exponential obsolescence in the objects today. No, so in this case, in this project, uh, the sound is the motor of the action. The sound is very important because without sound, there is no movement. And for me, the movement and action are sound. So the metronome defines the time. The time defines the rhythm. And the rhythm is that repetitive of movements, that repetitive patterns in that work. In the end, the sound determines or determines the final production. In 2010, I started to work at a very special project, Maquila Region 4. That project is a very important reference of my work because it's also a performance intervention in the labor landscape or marginal areas of Mexico. Uh, the maquilas are that uh, border town factories in Mexico. In this case, uh, in this project, I, I, I try to do a critique of uh, the news of this re relation between Mexico and United States because Mexico provides, provides raw materials and cheap labor, mostly women, and the U.S., provides management and ownership, right? So with that project, I was very interested to, to, to recreate that social phenomena because with that project is a recreation of a social phenomena, but in a small scale in the streets in Mexico City. I offered to the, in the poor areas, I offered jobs, work to the people and I paid the Mexican uh, labor I pay the American ways because, for example, the Americans' companies, they manufacture in the Mexican border because it's very cheap. 
I don't know, now in the United States, the salary, the wages are like $12 per hour, maybe. Uh, depends uh, the state, right? But in the case of Mexico, it's just the 8%. Uh, the people get just $4 per day. And that's, that's terrible. So with this project, I was very interested to research and the news, uh, that kind of practice. So yes, uh, in different pieces, I take like a important and focus in the worker. The workers are that invisible piece in the machine no, of the production. So yes, with Maquila Region 4, I start with that topics in my artwork. So I was in the street, I, I go through the streets to announce to the people in public space uh, that I'm offering jobs work. So I use a, a speaker, a big speaker in my bicycle, and I'm going around, you know, and use that, that jobs. You no, know? Maquila Region 4 is offering jobs, and I pay $10 per hour. So that's very attractive for the people, and the people go where the bicycle is, and they... No, they made a line and they wait to sign an agreement. And they sign an agreement and they get the job and they work for a few hours in public space, embroidering textiles, schematics. No, they combine the traditional handcraft embroidering with uh, special materials like conductive thread. In the end, the production are functional textile pieces and they receive a very good salary for that. I start that work. Uh, it's a special work because the idea starting in Norway. I I got a artist residence in Norway in a fjord in a very small town, Dale, in the north of Bergen. So the context was very different because I was I'm working with social issues, with social topics. So the context changed a lot in, in Norway, no? So that's the beautiful thing in the artist residencies to, to, to move, to change the move, no? To change the, the context. And, you know, I was in a very beautiful fjord in a nature, in, you know, inside in the nature. So the proposal, it, it was about electronic textiles. So I made that wearable piece. It's, a, it's just a hat with uh, Arduino, 
and a sensor, movement sensor. So I, I was recording for one month in that field. I was recording the sounds from the place, you know, the birds, the different sounds from the rivers, sounds of the community, all the sounds are around. So I just put the sounds in that, uh, in that MP3 Arduino and the people when wear that hat, they move their head in front, back, and different sides, and they can listen the different sounds of that place. It's just a simple exercise, no, about body, wearable technology, sound. Geometria Noise is a billboard. The idea it was to work public space to create an image uh, in the billboard. But for me, it was important you know, uh, to create a relation with the public. You know? It's a public space. So it's important to create a relation with people. You know? So I like the idea to think about drawing like a functional system, you know? not just like the dimensional uh, passive object or passive image. So I was thinking about a design, a drawing, okay, printed drawing, printed uh, image, but with idea of functionality and interactivity. So that's an interactive graphic that seeks to create a relationship between light, shape, and sound. Each geometry shape has a sequence. The, there's a circle, a square, an hexagon. Um, I incorporate two phenomena, color and sound. Sound and color moves in waves with a specific lay. Both, they create a parallel between wavelengths, visible spectrum, and the wavelengths audible spectrum. There is a white noise that contain all the frequencies. So you can scan the dimensional code, square code, under each image, the circle, the square, and the hexagon. And you can listen the sound of that different elements, no? In this case, the, the, the circle is in black. So you can listen black black noise. In this case, is the sound is the sorry is the silent is no sound, 
No, in the white square you can listen the white noise, and the gray hexagon you can listen gray noise. So it's just graphical exercise. For Bauhaus, how we work with uh, textiles also, the important thing is to work with something very related with the spirit of the Bauhaus. One occasion, a person in Facebook uh, posts something about uh, that residency that maybe the people that work with technology is not possible to apply because in that time, uh, times, the people from Bauhaus, uh, they never use um, uh, computers, no? That's weird because work tradition that works in this case textiles or architecture painting drawing but in the end all that traditional media uh, works with new materials and new process so the technology is present all the time so this uh, project is about textiles but te with technology it textiles the topic the principal topic is the memory I now doing a research about the memory uh, in the in the history of the technology. You know that uh, very old stories, uh, magnetic uh, core uh, memories. And if you see that very old memories, they look like a webbing looms, uh, looms, webbing looms. They looks like a textile. So uh, it's very clear in the history the deep uh, relation between and technology, you know, the jacquard loom is one example of the first machines, uh, the first computers, you know, with uh, program programmation. So, yes, the project is about the, the memory and create the different textiles that work with memory and sound. Often referred to as America's Jewel Box, the Kimball Art Museum is celebrated around the globe for its iconic architecture and collection of masterpieces. Important paintings by Duccio, Fra Angelico, Michelangelo, Caravaggio, Poussin, Velasquez, Monet, Picasso, and Matisse, as well as international antiquities, shine in the pearly light of the Louis Kahn Design Galleries. A second building, designed by famed architect Renzo Piano, opened in 2013 and provides space for special exhibitions, dedicated classrooms, and an auditorium with excellent acoustics for music. Visit KimballArt.org for more information. Support comes from the Pulitzer Arts Foundation, presenting Blue Black, curated by influential American artist Glenn Ligon. Inspired by his experience of the Pulitzer's monumental Ellsworth Kelly wall sculpture, Blue Black, Ligon enlists the colors blue and black to pose timely and nuanced questions, touching upon notions of language, identity, and perception. 
the exhibition brings together a diverse selection of more than 50 works ranging from abstraction to portraiture, from Norman Lewis to Andy Warhol, and including well-known works by Ligon. Blue Black is on view now through October 7th. For more information, visit pulitzerarts.org. Welcome back. Next up, Jacqueline Kiyomi Gordon, a Bay Area-based sound and video artist whose work often engages how we receive, interact with, and respond to sound. Her work has been exhibited at the Mills College Art Museum, the Berkeley Art Museum, and the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. For images of Linda and Tammy 3, which she's about to discuss, see a link to Gordon's website from manpodcast.com. Also, we're about to hear clips from Inside You Is Me, which is up at SF MoMA, and from Our Best Machines Are Made of Sunshine, a 2009 installation Gordon presented at Queen's Nails Projects in San Francisco. Jacqueline Kiyomi Gordon. My primary interest involves the role of the listener in an environment and how one receives and experiences information. And then also that role in the way of how one feels like they can express or also make noises themselves or participate in that space. Ever made anything for a seated audience? I, I don't consider myself to really be a composer. I'd say artist. I'm not, I don't know. I, that's why actually with this piece, that's why I kind of collaborate with a lot of musicians and composers and I bring them into this environment. So to get their understanding and their language around sound and space, and then that's kind of what I manipulate and then kind of work with in the environment. The sound that people will hear is a collaboration between me and Letitia Tsunami. And I invited Letitia into the space and asked her to what kind of her initial response would be to walking around this environment and hearing kind of where the speakers were and what kind of roles the speakers were playing in the system. And then we worked together kind of coming up with some ideas around a palette of sounds. And then she wrote a max patch that then I used in my own max patches to kind of author the movement of the sound in the space. It's a multi-channel piece. It's got 14.1 channels, but they're not in any traditional multi-channel configuration. There sort of is a quad system in the ceiling, but that's about as traditional as it gets. Everything else is as kind of the speakers are located in, in different ways that there makes no sweet spot. There's no one center point to listen to. So that makes kind of adjusting the sound so that it kind of moves the person through the space, or you might be in one location and hear the sound from a totally different location, and the the volume of that sound will be different, you know, if you are near a speaker or far from a speaker. So kind of the environment is created to really, and it'll be very individual experiences. So I just would like to say that the sound file that people will be listening to is a recording that I made wearing ear based microphone. So they're microphones that rest right over my ears and I'm walking through the space. So what you're hearing is my own experience of walking through the space. It's not a stereo bounce from the computer. 
it's a recording of the environment. And so, you know, it's just a representation of the experience. It's not an actual mastered, edited anything recording. So the built space inside the installation is made up of eight movable walls. Maybe I should say eight movable partitions. They have various materials that hang off of them. They can have up to six layers of materials with one to two inches of space in between each material that's hanging. And the materials range from vinyl, kind of like vinyl strip doors to kind of heavy velour curtains that you might see in a theater, moving blankets, felt, uh, wool, raw wool, kind of ruggy things, and silicon. It's all materials that either reflect, absorb, or stops, or do all, all three things, sound. So thinking about kind of how purpose sort of, or the construction of sound isolation and sound dampening, and um, kind of bringing those, bringing those elements really kind of out visually, but also they're still very useful. Like I pick them for their use, for their functionality, as well as their visual kind of cues and what they kind of can express to me and, and about the environment. There's even a rug from Ikea in there that really spoke to me about the space, you could say. So that's sort of where I, you know, the formal elements of it are these materials hanging off of the wall. And then the layers of the materials, how they're layered, also affects how they perform. So whether or not I have a piece of silicon on one surface or have a you know carpet or a felt on one surface, the sound is going to reflect or be absorbed in different ways. So what I tend to do with the piece and how I build it is that the walls come in and then I rearrange the materials based off of kind of what effect I'd like in that particular location with the walls. And then kind of play with it a bit. The more kind of folds or the more randomness or the more kind of predictableness of it is all things that I like to play with. So the forms that I am creating are influenced by my interest in sculpture, for sure. And also, you know, it sort of comes from my interest originally kind of in minimalism. And then when I started to experience more uh, minimal sculpture and the actual spaces that that 
you experience those in institutions. You know, it's really funny. This one experience I had, I was down in San Diego during the uh, Pacific Standard time, the big one, the first one, seeing all of the uh, minimalist work in, at the Museum of Contemporary Art down there. And there were all of the Larry Bell tubes. And they were, a lot of them had uh, mirrored surfaces, you know, in them. And I found myself kind of being annoyed by how many people were being reflected in the room. And then I, I felt kind of weird about that. But I didn't want us to be in the room alone. And I felt kind of conflicted about the experience of them. And I kind of realized, I was like, wow, is this stuff made to be experienced alone? Or is it made to be experienced with others? And it sort of triggered me into thinking about, it's not like a one-to-one, but it's part of the Venn diagram of visual, of, of listening experiences. You know, there's some things that happen visually that cross over into listening, and there's other things that are quite separate in those two ex- isolated experiences. And so there was something in there that I thought about in regards to, you know, when you go to a show and you hear people talking, sometimes, you know, you just want to listen to the music. And so you have to concentrate on the music and not concentrate on the, the sound of people talking. But I've also been to, say, a, you know, outdoor festival so I went to like a Gaigaku festival in Japan and it was so interesting because it was all gravel around and the sound was actually quite quiet, but very, very striking. And the texture of people walking around on this gravel behind me and sure they weren't talking. It was just footsteps on gravel, but it added so much into the experience and the relationship between me and the stage and everybody around me and the experience. And so, you know, thinking about it's not just these objects, it's how these objects live in this environment, but they are still objects. So how do I treat them? And in definitely in thinking about the types of materials that I use, I mean, felt or blankets and, you know, all these things are very loaded. There's lots of, I mean, almost like pedagogy around it in some way, but, but they also have a function. They're also used. Moving blankets, you see them you know, on the street, you see them. I don't know. They're just they're, they're these very strange objects. They have functionality. You get the zigzag stitching, the colors that they're made out of, the recycled materials, or the newer plastic materials. Almost, I don't know. There's something in there. So I kind of I play around between really looking at them as pure form and then looking at them as what they're functioning as, and even how I display them layering them up in certain ways, pushing more mass to one direction or pushing different surface to another direction. Those are intuitively done. So the walnut box at the end of the installation is a toolkit for kind of recreating a lot of different experiences or a lot of different installations uh, with the same setup. So the movable wall, but the materials could change. And the multi-channel sound system, but the number of speakers, the type of that is variable. The collaborations are all variable. It can be with music. It could be with speech. It could be with dance. All these things are very variable, can shift and change depending on the environment that is asking the box to be activated. So uh, when the piece was created originally at the lab in San Francisco, which is where the box came from, With that show, it was a very different environment. The setting was a one-month-long residency where I had the keys and the total rights to do whatever I wanted 
office space with X amount of money. And so I had a 22 channel sound system that was made up of three different types, four different types of speakers. And we had 10 walls that moved around. The materials were slightly different than the show at SF MoMA because I wanted to have more deadening of sound. So we also had like sheets of acrylic inside the walls or drywall in addition to everything else. And the walls were also a lot larger because the space of the lab was like 5,000 square feet or something like that. So there's a lot of room for me to play around. In. But because I could kind of do what I wanted and doing every week with different people. So we had a lot of uh, really amazing things to do. I worked with two amazing choreographers. We had yeah, three musicians that I worked with. And I kind of incorporated this built and kind of ongoing environment that people could come in and experience, but only twice a week. So it was only open to the public really, oh, three times a week, but, but it was limited, you know? So I had a lot of time to be in there by myself to redesign, redevelop and move the walls and change the sound constantly versus someplace like SF MoMA, I'm kind of in there. I install the piece, it's done, it's set. So it's a very different kind of activation of the box based off of kind of what the institution or what the space kind of, you know, kind of goes for. Because I, I found that I could build, to me at least, this this piece is a it's kind of a, a research piece, almost an experimental piece where I can learn a lot about different environments by playing with them. And also inviting others to kind of experience it with me too. And so I'm learning about others as well as learning about what the space itself kind of can lead towards. So that's why everything's so adaptable, just kind of learning like what, what works, what doesn't work. I, the first, the, this piece originated sort of from research at MPAC in upstate New York. And there it was a completely different beast because of, you know, that space and what that space and the uniqueness of that space. But it was similar in the sense that I had, I think, 10 to 15 walls built. I had a multi-channel sound system that I could move around. It wasn't stationary. And and I brought in choreographers from New York who came up and worked with me. And so it's just it's kind of like a ongoing morphine project. So Linda and Tammy, three and four, are part of a different series of to me, at least, they're more sculptural because they kind of can act in a lot of different environments through the use of these directional speakers. They're ultrasonic directional speakers that I've been using for, gosh, I've been using probably for like seven years now or so. I found out about them through researching LRAD systems and kind of new speaker designs and uses of sound in military um, applications, which was some of my research that I did in grad school. And I became really fascinated with these speakers because they, the operator of those speakers does not experience the same environment as the people that the speaker is being projected onto. So there's a separation between the operator and the listener. And that separation is due to the technology and the, and the space. So I started to work with ceramics at a uh, residency at Mills through their AP. API program. And I was able to kind of just play around with trying to make my own diffusion panels or diffusion tiles is what I was trying to do. And trying to make them as random and as organic as possible. Diffusion tiles are usually made out of wood or, you know, they're, they're made to be very random. So it would 
sound hits the wall, it kind of spreads around the space. And I was really inspired, actually, by the diffusion panels that I saw and were designed at Impact. They're very specific. And I talked a lot to one of the acousticians, Zachary Bellinger, who worked on them. And one thing that came to my mind, oh, well, the randomness and being able to angle them in all these different ways, like, why not use ceramics, which to me are, is, like, very organic and random and kind of references, or I wanted them to reference sort of, like, the the curvatures of the body and how also as humans, like we also absorb and reflect sound. We are, we play a major role when we sit inside of a concert hall versus when we don't in the shape of that sound. So I was kind of playing around with surface and geometry and the directional speakers just really heightened that relationship between surface and, and in experience. And so I sort of started, that's where I kind of started was with the directional speakers and the tiles. And then I built forms around them so that when you walked around the sculptures, you were getting different kind of sonic reflections as you're walking around. And the piece itself is really quite simple sound wise. It's really just tones that in their nature, how they reflect and how they pattern with each other kind of sound differently depending on where you are in the space. You know, Lamont Young's Dream House in New York is a great example of this technique, you could say. So it's a very simple sound piece, but then your experience of it as you walk around and hearing all the difference in tones that happen, depending on how close you are or far you are from the materials versus the architecture of the space, changes. So, and I've installed it a few times, which is really fun because then I can you know, it really is different in every space, but it works. Our best machines are made of sunshine was a 4.1 but 26 channel sound installation that I made at a space called Queen's Nails. It was on Mission Street in San Francisco. And that was my first kind of traditional white cubed gallery experience but the gallery itself was an artist-run space that had a lot of different things going on inside of it so it was really it was really quite a comfortable environment and I had known the people who'd run it for a while so that piece was it, it sort of started where I just sat in the gallery and I just kind of was trying to think you know just trying to experience the space and what my desires for the space were and it kind of came to me wondering what it would be like to take away the front wall that went out onto Mission Street, but only sonically. You know, how would I create a sonically transparent wall that was very visually captivating in a way? Uh, it's, it is inspired by a lot of different experiences, such as kind of wall, cement wall textures of brutalist architecture and anechoic chambers and 
even the movie THX 1138 <laughs> a little bit, just in the sense that, that that film used only like the sound from uh, like the microphones that were on the set. And then, of course, I'm sure it was elaborated onto it, but it has this really kind of the, this feeling of space in that movie through the sound is really unique. And it was also part of it was even filmed in the BART stations. At least that's what I read in San Francisco. So, so a lot of different, at that time, a lot of different information was kind of going into my head. But the piece itself was just like another sound system. There were two microphones out in front of the street and they picked up the sound of the cars and the bus was driving by on mission. And the bus in San Francisco have these really loud hydraulic kind of lifts that are inside of them. And so there's a bus stop right in front of the gallery. So when the bus would stop and the lift would be activated, it would make this really loud sound. And um, the microphone sound were coming into the gallery, were being spatialized and affected and played back. And the speakers were all built. I made all the speakers inside of the sculptures and they were all each wall had six speakers inside of it, but just one channel of audio. But the speakers were all facing kind of different directions. It was a really muddy environment, but really fun. And then I invited performers to come in and play on the sound system and just to see, you know, what they would do and what would happen in the space. The space of the gallery is all white, the floor, the, the walls, and the sculptures, that the reliefs almost that were hanging on the walls. The reliefs or the, the, the speakers were these kind of trapezoidal shapes speakers. There were six speakers on every wall, but then there were also sculptures that were the same form as the speakers that were surrounding it. So you kind of, you know, you could tell which ones were speakers if you came up to it and listened, but visually it looked like there was just a wall full of these trapezoid-shaped sculptures coming out. And then around that were these like kind of log cabin patterned, quilted, white, shiny vinyl, very kind of hospitally, institutionally vibe. And uh, there are gray cushions in the middle of the floor that people could sit on to listen. And, and yeah, and there was one window, one door that had, that was a door window that you could look out and see the street. So if you wanted to, you could still go out and see some of the sounds that were late, some of the you know, objects that were relating to the sound that was being played. So if you heard the bus sound, you could look out that little window and see the bus there. That's all for this week's show. The Modern Art Notes podcast is edited by Wilson Butterworth. Special thanks to Steve Roden, who created the sound for the program. The Modern Art Notes podcast is released under a Creative Commons license. Please visit Modern Art Notes for more information. Thanks for listening.